coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Peloton has hit a pothole. Next up, vulnerability is our full of mistakes, especially T-bone exploits. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 85, recorded on May 10th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. The pun is mightier than the sword, LaBelle. With me, co-host Tim, peddling home truths, helming. <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, co-host Taylor, yet always DNS, Wilkes Pierce. Taylor, welcome back. Greetings. Thanks for having me on. I was just thinking, you know, I, I was just watching It's uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia the other night, and I think there's something there with It's Always DNS. It's Always Blank Something in DNS. I think we could make that work. There's got to yeah. be a reference there. I mean, there's a lot of truth in both of those things, and since I'm all about the home truths today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think speaking of truths, we, of course, had our articles that we were prepared for, and then a something massive happened this weekend, so we can't not discuss it. So we're going to do a quick breaking news segment, and I think just to cue our listeners, um, Taylor and Tim, I'm going to ask for your best broadcasting voice. Can you can you accommodate that? Does anybody want to do a quick musical number? Well, I if I had my xylophone here, I'd play, you know, for that breaking news sound. Major U.S. pipeline crippled in ransomware attack. Film at 11. That's pretty good. That was that was top notch right there. <laughs> so um, it sounds like the Colonial Pipeline was the victim, according to them, of a cyber attack. And it uh, forced that one of the most major provider of liquid fuels on the East Coast to halt all of their pipeline operations. So no small thing. And I'm just curious, because this is this is fairly new. What do we know thus far? Right. So the title, the uh, our headline about uh, the ransomware attack is important because there are plenty of headlines that I've seen that sort of would imply that the pipeline control systems were hacked. Like if you see cyber attack shuts down pipeline, you kind of imagine if you're a typical, you know, person, you probably kind of imagine hackers getting in there and like closing valves and stuff. Um, and that was definitely not the case here. This was a ransomware attack. It was against the IT network. And, you know, in industrial settings, we talk about the IT network and the OT or operational technology network. And there's kind of a semi-permeable membrane between the two, and the permeability of that differs from one organization to another. But generally, the OT network is usually pretty well isolated from the IT network, as you would expect. And what it looks like here is that Colonial chose to shut down uh, the pipeline operation out of an abundance of caution and as a containment uh, measure. Um, but there are still some questions as to how they're going to get things restarted again. Um, there are cases where things like not having accounting and billing systems online, uh, things which live on the IT side of the house, 
can cause the operation to be stuck because some of them are designed such that if you can't do the accounting, then you can't flow the gas through the line. I do not know if that's precisely what's going on here at uh, Colonial, but that is not an unprecedented thing. So, you know, we're going to learn a lot over the coming days and weeks about this, but um, it, it's not unreasonable to say that this is the effect of a cyber attack and it, it's a significant effect of a cyber attack. But we have to be nuanced about that in that we want people to understand that it wasn't a matter of, of somebody hacking in and literally uh, changing settings in control systems. Yeah, that's an important clarification, especially with that headline. And I'm curious, Taylor, did you have anything you wanted to add there to what Tim mentioned? You know, I think it is interesting that the uh, that we're getting to attribution pretty quickly, right? So we have uh, the FBI is involved, uh, as you know, you might expect for something of this magnitude, uh, and that they are attributing it to the, the dark side group or dark seed group. I'm not really quite sure uh, how those folks would prefer to be pronounced. I don't know, but uh, you know, there there is an attribution aspect at play, and that group is also communicating back through uh, through the media as well through the internet. That rather, uh, you know, trying to maybe save face a little bit this morning. I think we're seeing a, a, a comment from them, although I don't think you could trust anyone, uh, any ransomware operators as far as you could throw them. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think it is interesting that this stuff is playing out in, in the public uh, in a way that, you know, maybe some of the hospital ransomware stuff that we saw last fall didn't quite manage to get out into uh, the zeitgeist quite like this. Even with all those pipelines shut down, we're still able to fuel lots of speculation over here. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, that, that'll be fascinating to, to keep an eye on. So um, we'll, we'll come back to that once we have more information. We just didn't want to have that be the elephant in the room and not discuss it um, because it's certainly something that I'm sure affected a lot of people's weekends. So... Um, with that, let's run into our, our typical cadence here. So we'll go through two articles and play two truths and a lie. So the first one we have is that Peloton hit a, hit a pothole. And, and first, you know, I'll say typically that we come up with these titles, but Threat Post did such a great job. We just, we just had to use it. So um, but I, I want to read their intro too, because it, it pairs very well. And they said on top of the privacy spill, Peloton is also recalling all trailed bills after the equipment was linked to 70 injuries and the death of one child. So that, you know, that positive news, it might combat this idea that all good press is good press. Right. Um, <laughs> and Peloton is uh, trying to rely on its spokespeople to dig themselves out of some bad press. So what's, what's going on here, Tim? <laughs> I see what you did there, uh, but there certainly has been a chain of events that's put the brakes on their momentum. But ha! yeah, we stole the story headline from the first line of that article in Threat Post by Lisa Vass, V-A-A-S. I don't know. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. That sounds like something as a service. Uh, what starts with a V that can be as a service? Anyway, Peloton has hit a pothole. So this has all the makings of a good drama. It's got death, danger, and data spilled. Uh, look for the made-for-TV movie about this in the next couple of months. Uh, just don't know which channel it'll be on, but I'm sure it's coming. No, uh, I don't want to make light of it um, because it, it it has uh, there have been some tragedies tied to this, not 
to the uh, the data breach that we're going to talk about. But anyway, long story short, you know, they have been leaking rider data. They ignored a pen test result that they really should not have ignored, and uh, and then there have been these uh, these physical injuries and, uh, as you said, at least one death. So fitness is great and all, but. Really, uh, I would say staying alive and healthy needs to be part of any sensible regimen. Tim. Yes, I'm, I'm listening. Do you know why Peloton's API was leaking user data? No, Kelsey. Can you tell me why? It was too tired. <laughs> so let's talk about that, shall we? <laughs> yeah, so what? What did these pen testers discover last week? Yeah, so Jan Masters, or maybe it's Jan, I don't know. I don't know this person, but of Pentest Partners discovered that it's possible to scrape user data from Peloton servers, regardless of whether that data had been set by the user to private uh, or not. So this didn't involve a lot of sophisticated hacking. In fact, no hacking because the issue was unauthenticated API endpoints exposed on the web. Uh, Peloton made a sort of fix where only authenticated users could access these endpoints. But all that meant was that if I wanted to scrape other users' private information, all I had to do was sign up with Peloton. So Houston, we still had a problem. Finally, when uh, the pen tester went to a journalist, in this case, the security reporter, Zach Whitaker, that finally woke Peloton up and they made a more proper fix. Yeah, and speaking of authenticated users, Peloton is sort of known for having a rabid following. Um, so I imagine there were quite a few records there that could be accessed in the leaky API. So how many users do they have and what types of data do they collect from their customers? Yeah, so it's somewhere between one and three million users, depending on whether you're counting total users or total connected users. And even if it's just a million plus connected users, uh, what was leaked was demographic information like the username, uh, their gender, their age, their location, workout stats, whether or not they are in the studio. And it's definitely enough to make some stalker or extortionist type person take notice. Speaking of stalker, it sounds like these bikes have mics. I said it that way just to rhyme, um, but they even have built-in cameras. Am I remembering that correct about Peloton bikes? Well, Kelsey, what doesn't have built-in cameras and mics these days, right? I mean, I could go on a big, long rant about privacy and how lame these smart devices are. I will try to restrain myself, but... Uh, you might recall the episode right around the time of the inauguration when there was concern about putting Joe Biden's Peloton bike in the White House. And that was before this leak was disclosed publicly. So when a company has a demonstrably poor security practice in one area, you certainly do wonder how they're doing in other areas. And you can bet that there's going to be a lot of scrutiny and well, there should be. I think security scrutiny should be called scrutiny. I think we could be saving mm. a lot of time there. Yep. You're welcome, yep. Internet. Ship it. <laughs> Ship it. <laughs> how how does something like how does something like this happen, Tim? Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say it seems just like laziness. Quite frankly, um, this wasn't a case of a hack. And it really doesn't even seem to have been some misconfiguration that a security-minded developer might accidentally overlook. It really seems as if someone made the decision that it was 
probably no big deal to have these endpoints exposed on the internet. Maybe they were hoping for security by obscurity. I don't know. Maybe they thought, well, uh, we're going to lock that down next week. And next week became the week after, became the week after, et cetera. Who knows? But I think there were decisions involved or decisions neglected or something like that, as opposed to somebody really trying to do the right thing and then just stumbling a bit. That reminds me, there's this fantastic stand-up comedy um, Hannah Gadsby does. And in her more recent one, I think it's called Douglas, she goes on this like art history rant and she has um, <laughs> like a PowerPoint in the background and she's pointing out all this art and she keeps going, this was a decision. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so spot on. And that's what I'm imagining you in front of a PowerPoint. I, I will just <laughs> say that the, uh, as an aside, the whole idea of an art history rant uh, makes me really happy. You would, you would definitely enjoy this. You might also like, <laughs> that's right. gets me. you need to start with the net and then you need to work up to Douglas. Um, it's, it's really, really well done. Um, but I think, you know, what might be useful to talk about here for our listeners is what can we do as defenders and in the industry to minimize the likelihood of, you know, these these leaky APIs? See, this is where it's really not that hard. Do a little bit of threat modeling. Ask yourself, do I have any API endpoints that I support? What data do they expose? Who needs to connect to them? How do I ensure that only authorized and authenticated users can connect to them. What would happen if an unauthorized user knew that these endpoints existed and wanted to gain access? This isn't hard, people. We need like a Smokey the Bear figure, but for security. Like only you can prevent leaky APIs, you know? Yep. I think a mascot. I think there, yeah, there's something. I just saw a meme about a bear being attached to a ceiling, by the way. Well, it wasn't a meme. It was a TikTok uh, I digress, but it was it, worth seeing. Is that what somebody means when they said your ceilings look bare? <laughs> Definitely in that case, yeah. <laughs> and it was in a bedroom, so it was a pretty cozy bear. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, to to finish this one out, Tim, I, I you know we always like to talk before we do our hoodie rating about what the scale of the the issue is and what kind of damage could be or has been inflicted. So what do we know about how this type of data would actually be used by threat actors or just not so great humans? Yeah. So, well, we know that they have lots of different motivations and that they're creative. So first off, there's the stalking or personal harassment risk um, when you had the level of detail about a user that they exposed, like I mentioned before. And then, you know, we know that lots of people reuse usernames. So it's not hard to imagine that uh, for at least some of the accounts that could help someone gain access to other uh, accounts. Um, I will say it doesn't look like passwords were available in this leak. Um but I think the, the most concerning thing is this basically says to malicious actors, hey, there's a company with a lot of interesting data and they don't seem overly sec uh, concerned about security. So you can just assume that there are actors out there who are looking for other ways to get access to more Peloton data, even if these APIs have been locked down for the moment. So, um, you know, it's kind of open season. And uh, let's hope that if um, that 
you know, kind of the assertion I made a little while ago, let's hope that it was wrong, where uh, I said that if there, if somebody's lax about security in one area, they very well might be lax about security in other areas. Hopefully that's not true for Peloton here, but uh, you can bet that there are going to be people looking to figure out, you know, what else they might be able to find. Oh boy. Well, Taylor, as Tim has given us the lowdown here, just reflecting on that a bit and thinking about our hoodie rating, which is from that zero to 10, we, we've now have the anti-hoodies, which is what we previously called the, the goodies. Um, so uh, that's that's always an option. I'm hoping you won't use that here, um, but not to bias your answer. Um, but with that in mind, what would you rate this at? Uh, you know, it is, in some ways, it seems kind of run of the mill, right? Like, um, <laughs> like, hey, we, we did some things to try and scale and, and now we're successful and we're, and now everybody wants to take a crack at what we've done. And oh boy, we, we took shortcuts. Uh, and now stuff is available for folks to find. So from that standpoint, it's, um, you know, we've heard that story quite a bit. It does seem at least fairly limited to, uh, you know, like the, the Peloton user base, right? So, uh, I, you know, it's tough, right? Cause it, there's a, it, when you put it in, in context of like stalkerware or, you know, pulling data around, uh, folks that you shouldn't be able to, that opens up a lot of possibilities for me as a non Peloton user. It's zero, you know, it doesn't really buy <laughs> zero hoodies, but I can see if you're an active Peloton user. Um, yeah, I mean, this type of thing would not fill you with confidence for the rest of their security controls. And so I let's go to, I don't know, like three hoodies. Taylor is unfazed. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Tim? Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's that's actually right where my brain was too. It's um, it's and you know it's a limited population that's affected. Granted, uh, a million or three is not you know a trivial number of people, um, but it's not something that's going to affect everybody. Um, so uh, I think, but it's certainly. Uh, it's not great. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll call it a three. A solid three. Hey, Tim, do you remember last week when we were positive? We had a week of positivity. Oh, you know, that's so faint now. But <laughs> yes, I, I do sort of remember the sunshine of goodies rather than hoodies or anti-hoodies. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So those those days seem so far away now. I'm glad we snuck it in. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like we'll have one. It'll be our annual positivity pod. Um, and so it happened. And so you can expect that again in like May of next year. Yeah, it's like <laughs> these little breaks of, of sunshine that we get in Seattle in the spring, right? Like Like most people, spring is a pretty nice weather time of year. And in Seattle, there tends to be a little bit less rain or it's a little bit warmer rain, but it's been like today as we're recording this, it's amazing here. And uh, so it's, it's kind of like that. It's, it's an unexpected treasure. Oh, my dad used to always laugh. Um, yeah, I grew up in Oregon and um, every time on television and they would say the weather, he always thought it was too optimistic that they called it partly sunny instead of partly cloudy. It was like a very Northwest approach to weather of just like half glass full. Oh, but the weather nerds will tell you there's a difference between the two of those. Uh, they don't mean the same thing, but um, 
you know, I don't know whether, I don't know how weather nerdy the typical TV meteorologist is or not. But yeah, it's like the concept of sun breaks. Like they'll talk about, we're going to have some sun breaks on Thursday. The rest of the country doesn't even understand what that means. Like, why is that a word? But uh, <laughs> but you, you do understand it if you're around here. That's very true. Very, very true. Well, let's transition into our final article here and then have some fun with two truths and a lie. So this one, um, <laughs> when I was Googling this title, by the way, which is vulnerabilities are full of missed stakes. And uh, when I was looking at T-Bone, which we'll reference in this discussion, I just Googled it and I, I was, it was late on Friday and I just wasn't thinking. So I didn't put any additional context to my query. So I just Googled T-Bone and my wife walked down and just caught me looking at raw meat on my computer. And she's like, are you just Googling beef right now? Like what's going on? You're so busted. <laughs> so busted. Caught. Caught in the act. Um, I did have a uh, a steak, though, in, in T-Bone's honor. I don't know if that's the right thing to say. Um, but anyway, I guess later I did crave it. But so security researchers have discovered a remote zero-click security vulnerability in Conman, which is an open-source software component that is, by happenstance, used in Tesla cars. So... Taylor, I'm going to start by putting you on the spot and I'm going to ask you to name the two researchers that identified this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we should say that uh, these are German researchers uh, that uh, have got a lot of experience in this area. Uh, is there some auto manufacturers nearby for them to, to work with? But there's Ralph Philip Weinman and uh, Benedict Schmatzel. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I pronounced those properly. Those are our, our two intrepid researchers uh, that bring us this delicious T-bone uh, <laughs> vulnerability uh, in the Tesla Model 3s. Well done, Taylor. That was pretty good. Oh my gosh. Well, okay, so let's walk through then how these researchers gained remote control over Wi-Fi on the ICE of the Tesla 3. Now, my goal in that sentence was to use as many acronyms as possible. I think I, I succeeded there. And I'm going to do it again. I'm going to say, let's let's talk about the SSID and DNS replies. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll unpackage some of that. So, uh, you know, as is the case with a, a lot of uh, research and, you know, they're building on the the backs of, of prior research efforts to a degree. And so really in 2015, uh, it was discovered that uh, Tesla's will happily support an auto connect to a generic Wi-Fi uh, SSID or network identifier, which is just like just service Wi-Fi uh, that, they, that they will uh, happily connect to. Uh, you know, I believe the intention there is that if they're pulled into a, a Tesla shop or uh, maybe near one of the uh, superchargers, I'm not a Tesla uh, person. I should state that up front that I'm not a, not a Tesla owner. So uh, some of my uh, knowledge in the space may be a little, uh, a little uh, incomplete. But so the Tesla support that generic SSID uh, for kind of joining and, and uh, pulling data in, right? So making that connection. Our research started with that. Our, our friends here started with that. Uh, and then discovered uh, that there was a that open source conman uh, 
which is really funny to say out loud, but it's C-O-N-N for Connection Manager, uh, which is a, a generic uh, connection manager network uh, kind of building block that was released uh, by the Intel team in 2007 and maintained through 2012. Uh, and that uh, that was being utilized by Tesla here. And they discovered that, uh, you know, that was running and that there were some fun things they could do by fuzzing the connection manager. Uh, they initially discovered a, a fun stack overflow in their DNS forwarder, um, that was used there in, in connection manager. Uh, and then, uh, a larger kind of stack information leak in the DHC, uh, DHCP component that the connection manager utilizes, uh, to kind of start to date Daisy chain these things together um, to start to get the, the the Teslas to do things that they wanted to do. This whole con man connection manager, it feels like a nice title for somebody that manages uh, folks at call banks for like cable and internet providers. Be like, you're going to have to take that up with a connection manager. The con man. That's maybe the con man's. Yeah, <laughs> it's too good. <laughs> so Taylor, what what does happen next then? Yeah. Um, so at that point, they've got to try to uh, circumvent, uh, <laughs> we'll use some fun acronyms, DEP and ALSR, uh, so data execution prevention. So, you know, I'm saying the, you know, these parts of uh, the memory cannot, cannot be executed from or uh, ALSR, which is address layout space randomization, which says, hey, whenever we boot, we're going to put this stuff into just random memory spots. So you can't kind of predict where they're going to be uh, every time. So that you can, you know, again, it just these are things to make it difficult for uh, our friends here <laughs> to uh, try again, get those Teslas to do things that they don't want to do. Uh, and so they discovered that in the, the DHCP component of this connection manager uh, management uh, software that the, the Tesla was utilizing, uh, that they could get it to leak out uh, the, the address spots where uh, the C libraries were, were located uh, and then, you know, some other interesting spots that they were able to use to kind of reference where other things ought to be in memory um, so they can uh, place stuff uh, out of the spots that are protected to run uh, and then also to, um, you know, give proper permissions there for where the next stage of their exploit needs to come in so they can start to load that kind of second and third stage of, of what they need to do to, again, make, make the Tesla uh, infotainment center dance. <laughs> infotainment center <laughs> oh my gosh i'm just picturing well, them putting like 1990s style dancing bananas on the screen they could do it they could now that's the difference between me buying and not buying a tesla is a dancing banana i find that rather appealing Oh, you know, I'm sure it'll be in the next release. They're very aggressive uh, with the, the Easter eggs that they plug into their infotainment stuff. Well, there you go. Elon, if you're listening, we want some nanners that are dancing. That's, that's all we're saying. Um, well, just to summarize here, Taylor, what, what does this all mean? And what is sort of the relative risk of this discovery? Yeah, good question. So, you know, some of this we don't have full visibility on because they are um, keeping secret some of the things that they're using to break the MCU or the like the infotainment 
software there for the Tesla. Uh, but, you know, from, from there, uh, they said that, hey, an attacker who exploits these vulnerabilities can perform any task that a regular user could from the infotainment system. This is uh, opening doors, changing seat positions, playing music, controlling the air conditioning, modifying steering and acceleration mode. So I guess they can make your Tesla plaid mode or whatever. <laughs> uh, but the attack does not yield drive control of the car. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the kicker on the end of their, of their so far is that, the, that they're not getting drive control of the car. And it's interesting, the timing on this. So they've been working on this for a while now. They started, uh, you know, this is something that they continuously do first off, right? So this is their job, right? <laughs> but uh, some of these discoveries they were making in 2019, uh, they were going to publish some of this stuff in 2020 and then 2020 happened. <laughs> uh, and then they were going to wait for 2021, but they wanted to um, start to mitigate some of this stuff. So they started working with Tesla to, uh, you know, get patching for this stuff. But what they've discovered is that it's not just Tesla that's using the, the connection management or con manager, con man from <laughs> bits of software or bits of code, uh, that there are other car manufacturers that are using that as well. Uh, and so, you know, this is one where this the exploit here is specifically designed for Tesla's because it's targeting the MCU. Uh, and I think Tesla offered up a pretty big bounty for some of this stuff. <laughs> but, you know, certainly the stuff that they're discovering as it pertains to the conman uh, code, that could be leveraged elsewhere. Well said, Taylor. And Tim, I'm going to hand it over to you here after Taylor did a great job describing what we know. And what would you rate this at? Yeah, this is this is a little tricky. Um, you know, that we know there's, there's a lot of... Uh, attention being paid to the attack surface of cars in general um, and trucks, like they're big semis that are going to be automated soon, uh, already are in, in experimental um, situations. I feel like this is, this is five. And the reason I say that is not necessarily, like that probably sounds maybe more severe than I think it necessarily is in an immediate sense. Um, but this is a fairly significant level of access and th the car onboard um, systems in regular cars, to say nothing of, you know, what's probably the most complex, electronically complex car being made today, uh, the Tesla models, um, even in a um, fairly straightforward um, car that still has a gas engine and stuff like that, uh, the control systems are are very complicated, and we have not found all of the potential vulnerabilities in them. So, um, it's a bit of a wake up call. Um, even though I don't know, I think they're probably more or less awake to these <laughs> security issues. But yeah, I'm going to call it a five because. You don't like to see this level of access into these systems. And uh, we'll hope that we don't see others like it um, soon, but I'm not super optimistic on that score. Mm, Taylor, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I think that the the some of the big takeaways from for me from this are you know some of the core security stuff is intact for for Tesla there like in terms of the um 
self-driving part of it, right? So I think that would be like the, I, not, not the holy grail, but whatever, whatever the bad version of that is, uh, for, for trying to break in and, and, uh, get some, you know, manage someone's car for them. It, it certainly is a higher risk, I think, than something when we look at like the, the Peloton hack, right? Where, okay, well, you know, if you're a Peloton user, certainly that's something to be aware of. You know, it, were someone, able to or these researchers able to you know fully break the self-driving mode uh or, or control the driving characteristics beyond just the characteristics of the car but the actual motions that the car is going through that could impact anybody right like you know your peloton is not gonna you know drive out of your apartment and go <laughs> like run down uh someone in the street but you know i think that uh it's not like we're going to necessarily go backwards in terms of these capabilities being out and shipped in cars that are whizzing around our street. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board with, with five hoodies. Uh, it is certainly like this one is, is I think fairly easy for Tesla to mitigate. And I put that in air quotes, but Hey, stop using, uh, <laughs> con man, stop using con man software. Um, <laughs> the first, yeah. <laughs> that was the big takeaway from the researchers, uh, is that, and that's, you know, but I think that, uh, again, fo- we have lots of really creative folks that are out there, uh, and given enough time and the ability to kind of, um, bang on these things from the outside. The other thing that I, that I really found interesting is that they didn't have a physical Tesla. They didn't have a car when they were doing the testing on this. They were, um, I think they bought an, like the, the computer system. They bought an infotainment system on eBay, they said, uh, and then we're virtualizing some of this stuff. So it is interesting that they're able to do a lot of that stuff in a, in a lab, uh, you know, without, uh, without the, having a Tesla right there to, to work on, but they had some of the hardware for it. Well, hey, I want to thank you, too, for your your two articles going into depth and also for our breaking news segment. Enter Tim Helming, Broadcasting Voice. Um, <laughs> and what we'll do to end our, our weekly podcast is, of course, our game, Two Truths and a Lie. So every week, one of us shares three articles, two of which are true, one of which is a lie, and the other two co-hosts try to sniff out, which is, in fact, the lie. And there's, of course, there's a point system, which you can always find on the blog we release with show notes. So I'm actually up this week. Are you two ready for the three articles? And of course, Taylor, you're, you're playing for Chad. So poor Chad, you know, know, this is poor. (laughs) I'm so bad at this every time. (laughs) Whenever we need to create leverage, um, we just invite another co-host on and and, and their points transfer. And it just gives you the upper hand if you ever need anything taken care of, you know. <laughs> so if, if you need anything yeah. from Chad, this is Nice little point standing you got there, Chad. Be a, be a shame if anything <laughs> happened to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Well, with that in mind, you two ready to go? Let's hit it. Absolutely. Do, 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 do. All right. Microsoft makes flash decision to maintain Adobe's plugin Windows 10. A new sophisticated attack sparks three new malware strains. Hospital system on life support after widespread cyber attack in San Diego. I don't care what you say, Kelsey. They're all true. <laughs> I promise I would not pull a Chad here. <laughs> Sneaky man. <laughs> yeah, that was rotten. Well, 
this uh these are all very plausible um positivity week was last week yeah <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, positivity week was last week, which means that, uh, I don't know, I, I actually, there's nothing, there's nothing good about any of these being, uh, true, but I think I'm going to go with the Microsoft one is the lie. Taylor. Oh, you took, that's the one that I was really hoping was a lie. I was like, do I need to go Google for this after we get off this call? Goodness. Um, okay. So, uh, I'm on board with, with with helming for that one, but I'm not going to pick it because that would be kind of lame. And also I can't wreck Chad's points that way. Uh, let's go. I'm going to go that middle one. That's so fish to Kated, uh, finds three new strains of malware. Just, it's real punny. So I, you know, I think that that's, that, that, that definitely sounds like something that Lebowski would get up to. <laughs> well, Taylor. Yep. Yep. You might have lost a point for Chad. Tim is right. Your gut was right. Microsoft is not going to maintain Adobe plugin for Windows 10. So I think, Ooh. is that, is that okay-ish news? Is that eh, middle ground positive? Yeah. Yeah. I, it kind of is. Cause like they shouldn't <laughs> maintain it, I think. Yeah. Right, so, right, right. so yeah, that's, I mean, uh, but yeah, actually, now <laughs> I know that that uh, I knew what I thought when you said it, but now I can't remember whether you said that that they were going to support it or were not going to support it. They're so the true thing is they're not. That's going okay. To that's what. Yeah. So this. Yep. So yes, yep. it's positive that you lied about that. <laughs> Thank you. Gosh, let me. I'm going to use that audio clip a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, Taylor, you had the right gut instinct. You know, you were just, you were in it for the sports. Sorry, right? Chad. Yeah. I, I, you know, I took a swing there. I didn't, I didn't want to just uh, copy after, after Tim, but that is the best news that I've had all morning is that something bad didn't happen. So that's good. <laughs> You're welcome. Good news, bad news. No points for you, but good, good, good news. as a reason why. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we've gone a bit long this week, so thanks for sticking with us. And of course, we'll be back next week for our 86th episode of Breaking Badness, and we can't wait to see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>